Owning your own home has its advantages when you need to draw on your home's equity. And UK Federal Credit Union is now offering a fixed home equity loan with rates as low as 2.74% APR. Whether you're fixing the roof, making home improvements, or you need extra funds to send your child to college, a home equity loan with UK Federal Credit Union can help. UK Federal Credit Union is banking only better. Member qualifications apply. Rate is subject to credit approval. Other restrictions apply. For full disclosures, call 800-234-8528 or visit ukfcu.org slash promotions. Federally insured by NCUA. Welcome into episode 80 of the Sources Say Podcast, your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the growing KSR Podcast Network. I am your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio, and today I am happy to be joined finally, once again, it's been way too long, David Sisk of Cats Illustrated. David, how are you? Doing good, and uh, to how long it's been on the old uh, Dean Martin Roast, the late, great Foster Brooks was on there once, and he said, I'm not saying it's been a long night, but before I came on here, I didn't need to shave. <laughs> so I think uh, the last time we were here, I didn't need to shave either. So it's, it's, <laughs> that tells you about how long it's been, I guess. Oh, well, what a journey it has been since you were last on. I, th- I think the last time you were on, we were, we were crying about another loss i mean go yeah. figure. that's kind of all we're doing at this point but it was it was the mississippi state i believe it was well mississippi state no, mississippi state was the win it was the big win and i think that I, if i'm was, not mistaken or i may be wrong because I, I think we had talked louisville. about doing that one and if it wasn't it was louisville yeah. it was it was it was after louisville previewing mississippi state yeah so it was that was right at the butt of the uh uh, the one one and six start, and you, we didn't get the the false hope with the three straight SEC wins and the you know Dante Allen game, and then having it all come crumbling right back down against Alabama and Auburn, and then what are we getting after this this uh, most recent win against LSU? That's for us to talk about right now, David. We are very excited to have you back. So let's just jump right into it. A lot has happened since the last time we spoke. What are your just kind of general thoughts right now on this season? The you know where things are trending, where things have been. Uh, what do you? What can you make of this? Um, whatever, however you want to describe this season. Well, I think it's it's about like everybody else. We obviously expected more, and you know what the standards are in the Kentucky basketball program. Uh, I guess at this point, as we do this, what's today? The 22nd, I guess it is. 25th. The 25th. Gosh, I'm behind. January 25th. So, <laughs> man. So, January 25th on a Monday night, you know, you're going to Tuscaloosa tomorrow. And, I, I, you know, we keep, you know, here maybe the LSU game, they turn it around. They turn it around. But it comes to a point where you're really running out of time. And we've been wanting them to turn it around for well over a month. So uh, the question is going to be, do they have time to do that? Number one, can they turn it around? And if they do, is there time? Now, I know as far as uh, 
the net rankings go, you know, they've got a chance to get quality wins in the next four games. Alabama's ranked nine. Texas is ranked 10. Missouri's ranked 22. Tennessee's ranked 11. And that's the next four games. But, uh, you know, let's say they split and you go two and two. You're still well under 500. So they're almost to the point where, you know, they, they, they're going to play some very tough games, a very tough schedule, and they're almost to the point where, where they've got to just about run the table. So I, I did a post on, on KSR before the Georgia game, and it was basically a, all right, Kentucky can make the NCAA tournament if the following things happen. And I, I kind of went back the last 10 years of past NCAA tournament bids and at-large bids, not, not uh, winning, the, winning any of the conference tournaments, just, just pure at-large bids. The lowest winning percentage of anybody in the last 10 years to make it in as an at-large team was – it's Florida in 2019, Vanderbilt – in 2017 and Alabama in 2018, I believe. I was covering Vanderbilt for rivals um, at that time. And if I'm not, and I was dialed in pretty close to that program, if I'm not mistaken, that, and that was Bryce Drew's first year. If I'm not mistaken, they were 18 and 15. 19 and 15. 19 and 15, yeah. Made it, made it, made it as an at-large bid. So 55 points, so .558 is the lowest at-large bid we have seen since John Calipari has been here. And, you know, you look at quality wins, and I think last year it was kind of maddening for uh, us that, you know, really – Kentucky's playing well last year, you know, and they, they, they win the SEC going away and still can't get into the top 20. And, you know, you look at Ken Palm, which I love, but you go into the Ken Palm rankings and ratings and Wisconsin was basically a 500 team, as was Minnesota. Wisconsin never got out of the top 15. So I was curious that even if Wisconsin at 500 could uh, would have gotten into the tournament. Now, there's a couple of things going in Kentucky's direction, and that is I think there's a lot more respect for the SEC uh, as far as quality wins would go this year than there have been in the past. Um, really not much at all was a quality win last year. Now, I don't want to put LSU in that one, but Alabama, Tennessee, you know, they, they climb into that. You've got, you know, you're going to get a rematch of Alabama. You've got two games with Tennessee. You've got Texas coming in at number 10. So that opportunity is there. And one other thing, too, you know, one qualification, uh, I don't even know if it's official or unofficial, if it's an unwritten rule or not, but very, I, I don't remember uh, recently teams of losing records in their league getting in. I may be totally wrong here. I may be off base. Correct me if I am. But, you know, Kentucky, you look at the overall record, the overall record's a lot worse than what the SEC record is, mm -hmm. you know, because that, obviously they're playing better now than they did earlier in the year. So they've got the opportunity to, um, you know, to, to go 500 the rest of the way and have a winning record 
in the SEC and have a losing record overall. But, you know, obviously they've got to have both, mm-hmm. a winning record in the SEC and a winning record uh, overall. So we know what they've got to do. They've got to go on a serious run here uh, against a very good competition. So in that post, it was basically – in order for Kentucky to even reach that .558, bare minimum, absolute, you cannot get any worse than that. The, the, the magic number was basically 15 wins in the regular season. So that leaves four losses to close out the, the, the season. You, you, basically, Kentucky had to go 15 and 11 to get to that point, plus an SEC tournament bid, which you would have to win one at least win at least one game. Oh, they would have to win. They would have to win how many? How many the rest of the way? So now, because they screwed up against Georgia, I kind of I kind of broke it down into into categories: must win, uh, toss up games, and anticipated losses. So Georgia was a must win. That's crossed off. So now they have to pick one up out of the four out of the four. Uh, toss-up games and anticipated losses, which was both the Tennessee games, this Alabama game, and Texas. So you have to steal one of those now and then win out the rest of the season and have South Carolina get rescheduled and added to added since that game was postponed earlier this year. So Kentucky has, has painted itself into a corner right now yeah, where – where they have to – they can only afford three more losses the entire year, three plus one in the SEC tournament if need be. But three more losses the entire season, UK has to not win out but get pretty darn close, David. And that's a, a pretty scary predicament considering how up and down uh, – you know, the, the team that we saw against LSU certainly felt like they could do – make a run of, of that nature. But – if we're going based on what we've seen earlier this year, the up and down nature, you just never know what team is going to show up. Ooh, it's a scary thought. And, you know, team sports is a, a different thing. As you know, I, I'm a huge golf fan. Mm-hmm. And yesterday uh, out in Palm Springs, California, I'll give you an example. Patrick Cantlay shoots a 61. Uh, I think the lowest round he's ever shot, broke course, a course record, and missed – winning the tournament by one, well, he finished second place. And you know what they say about second place? It's the first loser. First loser yep. So when you get into team sports, second place means you lost the game. First place means you won it. And in team sports, you don't look at it and say, man, like Patrick Cantlay, you would look at it and say, man, he could build on that. He played great. He's getting ready to win a tournament here in the next few weeks. Whereas – if you look at team sports and I'm looking at earlier games here and while I look down, forgive me, I'm just looking at my phone and looking at scores, but you go back to some that like to have over, um, you know, they lose by three to Kansas. They're up for a big portion of that game, but Kansas is a good team. So let's say, let's call that one a wash. You lose by one to Notre Dame, SARS shot rims out and Notre Dame's not very good. No business losing. That's a bad loss. Yep. You lose to Louisville by three, and, you know, you, you, you're in good shape for, for a good part of that game. Uh, and then, you know, they win a close one against Vanderbilt. They win the big one in overtime against Mississippi State. But then 
you dropped a game. Auburn game was closer than the score indicated. And then you, you, then you just find a way to lose at Georgia. Georgia, Georgia loss, in my opinion, was right up there with a, with a Notre Dame loss and, and the Georgia Tech loss. And, and, you know, Georgia Tech, you look at their record, you know, they're better than I think what we expected. But it's just, a, you know, there's some bad losses on there. Richmond as well. Yeah. So, but even that, we knew Richmond would be tough that early in the year. But I'm thinking back, okay, if you had just some of these close wins or close losses, if you had the Louisville game back, the Notre Dame game back, and and the Georgia game back, and let's say you got a win in two or two out of three, mm-hmm. so instead of going zero and three, you go two and one. I feel like we, to say they should have beat Georgia and Notre Dame, I mean, it's obvious. That's Absolutely. the best statement of all time. So if you go back. You know, you look and you could say, okay, well, maybe we could get a run going here. You know, the record's about 500 there. Just need to play a little bit better than what you've been playing. But, man, you, you just – it's so close to margin of error from, you know, having per, perhaps a breakthrough to having no hope. Yeah. And Cal, Cal has said over and over again, man, we've just had buzzard luck and – and we can pull together a run here if we just do this, 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 and this. And, you know, it feels like he's still trying to give hope into this, this fan base and, and not, not give his team any reason to let go of that rope. But they are hanging on by a, just the, the thinnest thread you can imagine with, with – like, yes, can Kentucky go on a massive run and, and, you know, kind of put things together to close out the season? Sure, absolutely. We've seen Kentucky teams do it in the past. But with how horrible they were to start this year, I mean, Kentucky has to play almost perfect basketball for the remainder of the season. And, David, I don't know if they're built for something like that. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, you can't take it for granted. You can't turn around and say, okay, we're Kentucky. So, yeah, we can beat – go on the road and beat Alabama and beat Texas and beat Tennessee and beat Missouri. And it just doesn't go that way for this team. I mean, this is still a team with a lot of deficiencies. And, you know, it's kind of like they dangle that carrot in front of you with with a Florida game and then – you know, LSU, uh, you look at Florida, and I think we all felt like after that Florida game, hey, we may be on to something. And my statement was after the Florida game, hey, we may have a team here now. Yeah. And you turn around and lose the next two. And uh, lose two games, two tough ones. Like I said, you, you turn around with a, and slaughter Georgia – excuse me, Florida, and turn around and lose to Georgia. So, you know, I look at LSU, and, you know, I made a statement during that game. I've seen church teams coach better than LSU. So, uh, <laughs> it, 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 yeah, they did. But, man, I'm just watching LSU, and I'm going, good gracious, how, how are they beating anybody? And, and especially the way they played there. And, you know, Alabama's not going to be like that. And, and, and obviously, Tennessee – when Kentucky's been good, when Rick Barnes is just giving them fits and, you know, you've got a, a Texas team coming in here, it's going to be chomping at the bit. So, uh, and then you've got Tennessee again. And, and like I say, you, you, you just got so many tough ones on the schedule. And like, and I think you said it best, this team really, they've not given us really a, a big indication, you know, that they're up to that because it's a, it's, it's just a different team this year, obviously. So, as for the good, um, B.J. Boston, the player that we have been 
harping on and criticizing and saying that we expect better so often over and over and over again, basically this entire season has finally turned the corner. Uh, two straight games of 18 points, um, both rather efficient nights. Um, that was one of your biggest gripes earlier in the year is, yeah, he's putting up 13 points, 14 points, 12 points or whatever, but he's doing it on 20 shots, you know, where, where it's almost a, a m- more of a, a negative than it is positive that he scored that many because it's an in, it, more of an indicator that he took too many shots. We're finally getting those shot num- the total shot attempt numbers down. Uh, he's he's scoring at all three levels the kind of way that we thought he could do. The, his three three point shots still not falling the way we kind of hoped, but he's still he's still finding ways to put the ball in the basket. Uh, this last game had six rebounds, three assists, no turnovers. I think he had one block and one steal as well. So we're starting to see a little something from BJ Boston. But is that some David? Do you? Do you trust it? Has he officially passed the eye test for you that you expect this to be the BJ Boston for the remainder of the season? Or like the rest of the team, is it one of those, I I have to see it to believe it the rest of the way? Well, I I think if he plays smart with shot selection and understands, I think you just have to understand the college game. And it's not the same as high school. And, you know, if you listen to announcers on ESPN, the SEC Network, they'll say that, that, um, you know, shots that he could get off in high school just because he was taller, you can't get off in college. So I wouldn't say that he is a three-level scorer right now. I mean, if you, I know he went two for five Saturday, which is, I guess, the best that he's had because he's still shooting – 17 percent 16 17 from three and you even look at at, it kind of snuck up on me I just didn't realize he'd shot as many threes as he did last week because I I did a story entitled uh uh, BJ Boston's good you know strong week good week um but he still went two for ten from three uh and you know that's 20 percent so that's pretty much right on his average so I don't trust that part of his game He's not outside shooter. He's right now. He's not an inside shooter at the rim if he gets contact. Um, you know, he had he had a, a couple of good finishes. If he's got some space where he can turn the corner, and you know, um, the announcer said that one of the color men said, you know, he cannot catch the ball standing still. He's got to be moving into the catch. So he has to have that space and that momentum when he gets the ball. So if he has some space, he's long, he can kind of swoop and finish, but not where he's getting contact and he's flipping. So, yes, he can score to rim, but it's limited. To me, I'm sorry about the barking dog, (laughs) but the the, um, strength that he has to me is a really good mid-range game. And the fortunate thing is – John Calipari shooting the twos, especially in that mid-range, is what he wants. He's not going to be confused with Nate Oates. So he has different ways of doing it. The Iverson cuts, coming off the pin downs. He likes to hand off and curl off the handoff and pull up. So John Calipari and his offense has a number of ways to get him shots to what is his strong points. He's just uh, got to make good decisions. 
not shoot a ton of threes, not go in there drawing contact in the lane, flipping up shots. Take what he can get and what he does well. So I think decision-making, if he makes good decisions, yes, I trust him. Okay. So the counter to B.J. Boston, the other highly touted superstar guard that that came in this year, Terrence Clark, he's been out since the Louisville game. Um, Pretty significant ankle um, sprain, I, I guess, is the most that we've gotten out of Calipari in terms of an official diagnosis. it feels like the team has almost moved on without him in terms of trying to come together as a, as a cohesive unit. And I, David, I'm very interested to see where he fits back into the picture when it does come time for him to return. I believe Cal said Monday night, I believe it was after, it was after the LSU game. I believe actually he was, he was asked about, uh, Terrence's status and when when he was expected to return and he said that he's not going to come back this week so won't play against Alabama won't play against LSU but kind of hinted that 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 next run of games is going to be when he's going to start ramping things back David where do you think Clark fits back into this picture and do you think it'll be a net positive for this program or uh, do you think there's going to be a, a, a pretty significant adjustment period when it does come time for him to um, take the floor again? You know, this is, this has got uh, some dynamics around it. Here's what I do like about it. You know, we look at the Georgia game particularly, and um, there's been a lot of games like this. The only two that I've really not seen in this direction you know, Mississippi State, when they started raining down threes. But Florida and LSU came out with horrible game plans and wanted to press a stagnant offensive team for Kentucky that just stands around a lot and can't create space and can't create driving lanes. But when you press, you open the floor up. You can't guard a guy, face guard a guy 94 feet. So you turn guys loose in space. So I think it's a horrible strategy. Um, so, you go back to Georgia and how bad the offense looked and they're wanting to drive. You know, B.J. Boston comes out and he plays well, but there's still not a whole lot of driving lanes because Mints can't break people down. Askew can't break people down. And you have Dante Allen out there. In fact, he started that game. You had uh, Askew, Allen, and Mints. And I'm saying – Okay, Dante Allen, yeah, that's the guy you want out there shooting the threes, but you've got nobody that can create for him because you've got nobody good enough to put the ball on the floor to make his man help off him. They don't have to worry about help. They just stay out there on him. Terrence Clark could be that guy. So that's what I look at. We've not seen the offense with Allen yet, and which would make it a better three-point shooting team with somebody who can – put the ball on the floor, and draw the defense. I would like to see those two play together. But if I had a weakness, then one thing I didn't like about Clark, and I had said all along, I thought he would be the point guard, but he couldn't read the floor. He's a poor decision maker. He does not understand how to distribute, how to read angles, all that. So it doesn't help him that he's not played, unless he has really taken notes sitting over there. It 
I just don't see how that improves. When he comes back, he's rusty. He's not been playing with these guys, and all of a sudden he's going to make great, great reads and great dishes. So I think there'll be some good, and I think there'll be some bad. Yeah, I, I think that's a really interesting point because Cal, uh, w- when talking about Clark, basically said, I want you to be sitting on the bench not being a cheerleader the way Cam Fletcher is and how Keon Brooks was or a, a, a coach on the sideline the way Keon Brooks was when he was out. He said, Terrence, I want you to look at this team and find the deficiencies. Where is this team falling short? And where can you be that that fill those gaps? Where can you be the 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 complementary piece instead of the added piece? I thought it was really interesting that he didn't he, – he said Terrence is one of our best players. He's one of the most skilled players on the team. You know, kind of all the coach speak talking points hyping up his player. He did a good job with that. He had what, 22 against Kansas? Yeah, in uh, Georgia Tech game. He had another fantastic game against them as, as well. I mean – It may have been Georgia Tech he had 22, but he had a good game against Kansas also. Yeah, um, but basically said – I don't want you to be the player that you were earlier in this year where we were just trying to find something to work. I want you to look at this team, find the holes where things aren't going well, and be a complimentary piece to that. Where do you think that is right now? He, he specifically mentioned perimeter defense, where you know we've seen Devin Askew give up a lot, uh, you know, guards being able to drive right by him. Davion Mintz hasn't been much better in that aspect. He he highlighted that as one of the key things. Where else do you think Terrence can add to this team or, or complement uh, some of the other deficiencies that this team has right now? Well, I think defensively, I liked him defensively. And, and you know, earlier in the year, we looked at this team and said, okay, it's obvious after the Richmond, after the Kansas game specifically, when you put that back, back to back with Richmond, that the offense was going to have some struggles because they couldn't shoot. But I just, just you know, sincerely said all along that, hey, this could be a great defense, not a really good defensive team, but a great defensive team because they're still athletic and they got shot blockers, you know, and all that length, all that rim protection. But they're not without Clark out on the floor because now you've got Askew uh, and Mets out there a lot who are not overly athletic. And, you know, people remind you all the time, and, and I understand it. They'll say, man, you were, you were really high on this team, you know, on these recruits. And, yes, we were. But one thing in our defense that I think ever we all said was we're not sure about the point guard play. We thought when Saar got his eligibility that that was a big difference maker. But there were still questions about the point guard play. We'll ask you, would he be athletic enough? Mintz had not played point. Mintz is not overly athletic. And the hope was that either B.J. Boston or Terrence Clark could fill that void. Well, obviously, Boston's not that point. And Calipari had put Clark into that. But now, you know, with him out, you have you get in the SEC, man. You get Sharif Cooper and all these guys – uh, all these great point guards, you're going to see them tomorrow night, Quinterly and all these guys in Alabama. And, man, they're just tough to keep in front. And, and when you can't have an Ashton Hagens-like dog out there to just get in somebody, and Terrence Clark had a little bit of them, that in him. So that's something he can provide all the time. And like I said, offensively, getting the ball on the floor, creating but not making mistakes and turning the ball over. So 
Um, to me, that's what he could bring. So I thought Nate Oates said, um, switching a little bit back to just the Alabama game in general, Nate Oates brought up a point in the, earlier today, um, Monday afternoon, that Alabama, the last five years, Alabama has gone on the road and defeated an opponent by 15 or more points four times. And each of those four times when the, the – this, this is in conference play – when that team – went back to Alabama, they lost each of those games. So, David, everybody's looking right now at Alabama as the SEC juggernaut. They're now ranked number nine in the country. I mean, you go down the list of reasons why they're impressive. It's a, it's a really, really impressive group. What Give us some reason for hope. Where do you think Kentucky can, can you know, kind of – fix their mistakes from the last time when, when they had headed to Rupp and kind of continue that momentum we talked about to not revert back to those, those old ways and, and, you know, kind of fall back into that, that losing streak that a lot of people kind of thought was inevitable when this uh, run of games kind of began. Well, it would help if Alabama did it for the fifth year in a row. Yeah. <laughs> so you think about it. If they could go down there and avenge a loss, if they could just destroy LSU, and then go on the road and find some way to beat Alabama, and nobody's giving them a chance. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden, I, I mean, you think about how people would feel about it Wednesday morning if they beat Alabama Tuesday night. Yeah. I mean, people would have a total idea, and all of a sudden, this Texas game you coming in would be huge uh, because it would be not – well, it'd be more than, than – just trying to save a season or get their uh, heads above water or anything like that, it, it could really be turning it around and being on to something and being this team in the second half nobody wants to play, making an NCAA tournament run. So, you know, that's where it starts. But there's just so much, you know, they, they, they find ways to lose games like they did against Georgia. You know, they're up against Georgia, you know what, seven points, nine points, or five or six minutes left, and they just score three, four points the rest of the way. And, you know, Calipari just really uh, was, you know, he could tell he was sick after the game of just plays that they didn't make, loose balls and not rotating and letting them score at the rim, the inbounds play, just finding there's so many things, you know, you get it right. B.J. Boston has his best game and you waste it. You know, Terrence Clark, the game, he had his best game. You wasted it. Saar had that huge game against Notre Dame, his best game. You wasted it. So, man, you just got to find ways to win. And I think that's what it comes down to now for Savage. I, I don't know that there's – they find so many different ways to lose. But I, just don't, I don't know that there's a magic potion. Yeah, it's like you can only say you hope that they come in and miss threes or you you hope that they, you know, that they try to press you and do the same thing that Florida and LSU did and, and you kind of hope that they play, play down instead of, uh, you know, falling short. Nate Oates even said something specifically said we we're just trying to avoid a slip up. We don't we we know we're capable of a slip up, so we don't we don't want to fall fall into I that. I think trap. the weird thing, and I'm not a big 
stat watcher. And what I mean by that, um, I couldn't tell you who the best shooting team in the country is. I couldn't tell you who the best three-point shooting team is. But I just happened last night, now I was on Rivals doing my stuff, and I just kind of flipped around, and I just said, I want to look at Alabama. I'm just curious what they shoot from the field. And I'm expecting that they're going to be the top-ranked uh, three-point shooting team in the country. They're like 76th. Hmm. And, uh, and man, you could have knocked Miller of a feather. And just scoring and, uh, and, and overall shooting, I mean, they're not – they're in any stats, they're nowhere near the elite in the country. So uh, that tells you that there is the t- that there is a possibility for slip ups, and I'm like Charles Barkley: you live by the three, you die by it. So can Kentucky catch them Wednesday night in a game or Tuesday night? I'm sorry, in a game where they can't make anything, where it's just like we all see three point shooting teams do it somewhere in the SEC this year. It's going to happen where they just don't make three-point shots. And if they don't make them, they're going to lose. I mean, it's that simple. And Kentucky, uh, you know, I, I forget which player it was, but, you know, he was interviewed earlier today, and he said, you know, we it might have been Sar, where he just said we didn't follow the game plan, and there was not a sense of urgency for a Alabama team, and all they do is shoot threes or shoot layups. Two percent of their shots – are two pointers outside the lane. Two out of every 100 shots come between the lane and the three-point line. You can look it up. You look at their shot differential. It's amazing. On two, two out of 100. You know, John Calipari will shoot – have his teams will shoot three mid-range jumpers and three trips. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> Alabama there, – there's no mid-roll. There, there's no high-post pull-ups. You know, there's none of that. It's a layup or a three. So you know what you've got to do. You have got to get a hand in the face on those threes. It's Mike D'Antoni's Houston Rockets team with with James Harden. They'll beat the ever-loving hell out of you. They'll score 150 points by taking 50 threes in a game and making 20 of them and just just crush your your all of your hopes and dreams if you let them. But on a cold night, as we saw with James Harden in the in the Rockets on on countless occasions, especially in the playoffs, when they go cold, they go very cold. In fact, I, I, I just went back to look at Alabama's uh, season schedule. They lost by 18 to Stanford second game of the year. They lost by almost by, by eight to Clemson early in the year. Only beat Furman by three points early in the year. Lost to West. Furman had them beat. I watched that game. And yeah. Furman – had to be sick that they lost. I mean, Furman was up like double digits with six minutes left, seven minutes left, and found I mean, a way to lose. I mean, Western beat them 73-71. I mean, it, yeah. but, but yeah. then they go on and, and they beat uh, Tennessee. They beat Auburn. They beat Florida by 15. They beat Kentucky by 20. They beat Arkansas go, by 100. If you go back, I saw them play in the Maui tournament, which was in Asheville, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And – it's a totally different team now than it was when they played that one. It's a totally different team than it was when they played Furman. Sure. That's the thing. And that's where the three-point shooting, the stats can be uh, disingenuous because this is not the same team uh, that it was earlier. Now, 
they run a lot of stuff that reminds me of what Bruce Pearl does against does at Auburn. All the post slips, uh, uh, all the screen screeners for picking and pops and picking and rolls and just driving kick. And, and there's a lot of similarities between what Nate Oates does and Bruce Pearl does. And I'll go back to two years ago uh, when Auburn uh, beat Kentucky uh, in the – in the NCAA, it was in the NCAA tournament, right? Yep. So, uh, and Kentucky beat them twice, and they beat them by about 30 in Rupp. Yeah. Uh, so, here's the deal. You think about that. Auburn really could have won a national title that year and got a horrible double dribble no call against Virginia off the back of the leg Yeah. that they didn't call. Uh, and – you think about it, they went to Lexington, they got beat by 30. And that's when a team like that, when they don't shoot the ball well, that's what they can look like. So, you know, that tells you, you know, anything can happen when you play these teams that shoot threes. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, before we get into this last segment, um, I want to have a quick message from our friends at UKFCU. Owning your home has its advantages. If you need to draw on your home's equity, UK Federal Credit Union is offering a fixed home equity loan with rates as low as 2.74% APR. Whether you're fixing the roof, making home improvements, or need extra funds to send your child to college, a home equity loan with UKFCU can help. UK Federal Credit Union, it's banking only better. Member qualifications apply. Rate is subject to credit approval. Other restrictions apply. For full disclosures, call 800-234-8528 or visit ukfcu.org slash promotions. Federally insured by NCUA. All right, we are back, David. Um, we A lot has happened since the last time we talked both on the court and off the court. Well, I guess it'll end up being on the court, but um, Kentucky got itself arguably the best transfer prospect on the board, in, on the market, and Oscar Shibway at West Virginia. It was a um, you know very quick and abrupt decision. He entered the transfer portal uh, that Monday and then by Friday he was committed to Kentucky by what, or I guess it was a little bit over a week, um, but he ended up committing rather quickly and then UK announced him as an, uh, as an official addition. That's that's right. He committed, he entered the transfer portal Monday. He was committed by Sunday. And then the following Friday, UK officially added him, announced him as, as a new addition. Uh, so before we get into the you know nitty gritty of him showing up on campus, you know those those specifics, David, I, I just want to know what you think of his addition in general. Um, I know we both covered his recruitment rather extensively, talked on the phone a lot about him. We, we were, I think we were both pretty pretty big fans of his game back in, in high school. So I'm interested to see what you think of his addition to the Kentucky basketball program for next season, along with the practice impact he's going to be making as a um, as an ineligible player for the remainder of this 2020-2021 season. You know, there's one thing that B.J. Boston and Terrence Clark have done that's make me a little gun-shy about, you know, talking about recruits because you're not sure – and, and the thing is, now let me be fair when I say that, they're figuring it out. B.J. Boston's figuring it out. Like I said, he, you know, he, last week was a great week for him compared to what he'd been doing. So, like I said, if he makes good decisions, I do have faith in him. Now, here's the reason I bring that up. They have to learn as freshmen how to play the college game and what works from in the college game that doesn't work in the high school game and, and make that move. 
Oscar's different because we saw what we we saw what he can do at, at West Virginia. Mm-hmm. Uh, second team all Big 12, first team all freshman. Uh, had 17 and 17 against Kansas. Had numerous <laughs> double doubles. Uh, was just a monster. And uh, if his head is right, uh, because the whole thing about why it didn't work out at West Virginia was really um, weird because I don't think there was anything underhanded that went on of him going to West Virginia. I think he wanted to go there. I think he played for a coach that I would want coaching a guy like that. You talk about a big guy at 6'9", 265, with an endless motor that just plays like a beast, man, you know, you're talking about a bigger version of Kenyon Martin, uh, Bob Huggins. Yeah. You know, that's who you want. And, you know, it it was, it was depending on who you talk to, some people got in his ear, uh, but there were things that happened. And I don't know that he did not want to be there and it didn't work out due to COVID. He worked out off campus. He went to Miami. He came back out of shape. I think Huggins was livid. Huggins was on him the whole time. It just spiraled downhill from there, and it didn't work. Uh, He's going to Kentucky now, and John Calipari will be no different. This is a coach that's all about tough love, that's all about conflict, that's all about getting in your face, is going to coach you hard. So it's going to be the same thing. So here's the question. Will his motivation change? The only thing that can stop Oscar is Oscar. Yeah. And, you know, he's got everything else. I mean, this, like I said, this is a guy who has excelled at the highest level of college basketball. And if he can play to that ceiling and just match what he's done, you know, obviously Kentucky's getting a stud. Absolutely. Now, so it, he, he signs on Friday, I believe, January 15th. Cal talks to the media. It's the, the pre-Auburn press conference. And Cal basically says, we're so thrilled to have him. We're so excited. Um, he's not here on campus yet, but he's going to be here within five days. And it was a very weird, like, why five? You know, it, it was just the, – the timing just felt weird. Like, it was January 20th, the – cut off you know was he supposed to be moved in by that day it was just why why even put that that timeline on it if it was if it was up in the air so we don't hear anything last week all of last week about his about his potential arrival uh, and then bruiser flint talks to the media on monday morning and i'm i'm sitting here looking at the the date and i know today is the first day of of uk's classes so i'm like usually that's a day that um that that they try to have all of their 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 players in and, and ready to go. I remember uh, Hamadou Diallo a couple of years back when he came in as a mid mid year guy. Uh, Ty Winyard. I, I know a couple of those mid year additions. They tried to get him in for the beginning of that spring semester, and I figured, okay, well, why? You know, I, I feel like now would be a good time for them to talk about him being on campus. So I asked Bruiser. I said, you know, has Cal said that uh, January 15th that he was going to be here in five days. Is he here? He got very 
touchy, very weird. Just started like, oh, uh, I don't know. Um, uh, you guys know more about that than I do. I have no idea. It, it just, just very bizarre. I was like, okay, that kind of uh, didn't go well at all. Uh, and then UK reached out to the media very, very short after and said, no, Oscar's not on campus yet. I was like, huh, that's kind of odd. You know, not that there's anything, you know, NCAA related or, you know, tra transfer logistics, you know, all that stuff. Not that there's anything specific that I knew of or whatever. I, it was just interesting. Cal said one thing and then for whatever reason that had changed. Uh, and then just a couple hours later, someone close to the UK basketball program reached out to me. I, I put something on Twitter that was basically like, very interesting. Here's a timeline of events. Cal says this, Bruiser Flint says this, and UK says this. Well, very interesting. Uh, somebody close to the UK program reached out to me and said, um, nothing to sweat. Everything's going according to plan. They, they kind of said that when Cal put out that timeline originally that he was more so just kind of assuming that that was when he was going to make it on campus. Not like it was an actual set uh, official date, but said that Oscar is going to be here this week. So, um, Oscar is going to be on camp. I don't know how long the the quarantine protocol is and, and getting him actually on the practice floor, David, but I'm very intrigued to think, what do you think from an immediate standpoint, do you think he can help this team as they try to make this one final stretch for the NCAA tournament? Do you think that his addition is is going to be a kind of that one final piece to – push him over the edge or do you think it's uh just kind of one of those crap shoots well um the thing let, let, let's go back first to him not being on campus every since i've been doing this every transfer is basically you could put them on a milk carton uh because you you end up tracing flights and and everything else because you know you you go back you remember Olivier Saar mm -hmm. uh, when is Olivier Saar going to get to campus you know he's not got to campus yet where's he hiding out at who's he <laughs> living with is he in the states is he in France where is he we ran into the same kind of same thing with Reed Travis mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and I know uh, uh, Isaac McBride who transferred from Kansas to Vanderbilt going through this thing with him, you know, when is he going to be on campus? When is he going to uh, uh, make a decision? And there was another player um, that just transferred from Houston uh, who announced he was on, he's going to go to Florida State. Mm -hmm. And it's been the same thing there. You know, when's he going to start? When, when's he, why is he waiting to the summer? Is he waiting to the summer? Is he changing his mind? You run through all this with transfers because there are things behind the scenes that we're just not privy to that we don't know about. I was told by a person in his circle that sat in on every official Zoom call before he made his decision that told me even before uh, the announcement came of who would get the Zoom calls that the one thing he can promise is that Oscar is going to be on campus when school starts and cause education's a big deal to him. He was also all big 12 academic first team. Yeah. And that school's a big deal and he wants to be there when it starts. So I, yeah, honestly, I would have figured he would have been there by now because of that. I don't know, you know, why he's not, but from everything I've been told, I would expect him to be there because 
You know, it's not this is not a guy where he just wants to coast around and wait till basketball season comes. You know, he wants to get in and get his academics in order and, and get in class. That's huge to him. Um, having said that, being a practice, um, I think you could be probably really good for uh, some guys like Toppin. You know, probably be good for uh, getting into practice with Sar. Maybe knock him around a little bit. Isaiah Jackson, I think he'd be good for anybody that he goes up against because he's so physical. So he can prepare you for SEC-type post players, very physical post players that you normally cannot mimic in practice. Uh, the only thing is this late in the season, you know, you don't have long extended practices. They're short and sweet because you want to rest these guys. Uh, but – you know, I think he – yes, I do think that he could compare – get these guys ready for SEC post play. But um, I just don't know as far as – we've already talked about the odds of them getting over the top and, and just how minute <laughs> the chances are. I can't see a practice player making the difference with that. True. Very, very true. <laughs> well, um, oh, it's going to be a very eventful – I mean, I think – this next week is going to be probably the make or break point of the season. I mean, I, I do. I think if UK goes out and wins these next two games, I think we we start thinking at least long term. Okay, th- we can at least start making some movement back up to that optimistic side of things again. If they lose both of these games, I mean, I think it's fair to say that it, it is absolutely SEC tournament or bust. I mean, I, I do. I think I think we have – And can I throw one thing into that? Absolutely. Because we're starting to see now the questions about whether they'll even be conference tournaments. True. Uh, and the whole reasoning is really the only way you can play a conference tournament, unless you just put the top four seeds in it, and say, here, you guys play semifinal games and in the finals, is you have everybody at one spot. And you do that before the NCAA tournament. You take everybody to Nashville or to Lexington or wherever, and you put 14 teams there, you're, you're, you're asking. And the thing is, you're talking about a quarantine situation, which has really not even been addressed yet. You know, they talked early in the season about putting teams in quarantine. You can't throw this thing together last second. So I do have significant doubts whether conference tournaments will be played. And if not, that makes it even harder for Kentucky to get through this thing because there's not going to be, you know, a Cinderella-type situation somewhere in a conference tournament that we always see. Whew. Well, thanks for making me feel better about that, David. <laughs> well, anything I can do. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, we will get the heck out of here. Uh, absolutely a ton of fun with David, as always. David, where can fans find your work? Well, you can find me at uh, Coach David Sisk at Twitter and also at Cats Illustrated on the Rivals Network. And my wife just got home. Not seen her all day. Do you want to? No, no. Oh, okay. No. <laughs> You can find me on Twitter at Jack Pilgrim KSR. Reach out to me via email at jpilgrim at kentuckysportsradio.com. With that, we will be back next time for another jam packed Sources Say podcast. We will see you then.